refer to my notes then. Um, a very, very warm welcome. Is it Christian De La Herda? Have I got that De right? De La Huerta. Like the De La Huerta. De La Apologies. No, no worries. Delaware and then throw in a ta. Delaware, Delaware. Perfect. My other languages or my accents aren't really great outside of English. <laughs> a very, very warm welcome, Christian. This has been a kind of long time in the making, and um, it's just unfortunate that um, it, it's, it's kind of been here because I've been really eager to get you on and talk about your book because we were just chatting before the show um about the impact that your book had kind of made on me and so many talking points so so many talking points and so many references and parallels with your life that i could identify with but i guess just things are kind of meant to be the way way they are but um it is it's a, it's a great delight to have you on the show so you're very very welcome thank you so much Sinas. i'm really happy to to be here with you and to connect and to have this conversation with you and really appreciate your your kind words about the book and the effect it had on you. Yeah. Well, let's just talk a little bit about you. Um, Christian, you have 30 years of experience as a spiritual teacher, a personal transformation um, breathwork coach. Uh, you're the award-winning author of the book, Coming Out Spiritually, The Next Step. Um, you've just released your second book, which is going to be a three-part trilogy. Um, right. This book is Awakening the Soul of Power. And it's part of the Calling All Heroes books. And I believe, if I'm quite right, that this, you've mentioned that this was a book 10 years in the making. Um, yeah. And you also, you've got a fantastic reference there or quote from Gloria Estefan, uh, the singer who um, you've been friends with for a number of years. You've also spoken on TEDx, um, the um, conferencing. Thing, the, you've spoken at many universities, multinational corporations, and given lots and lots of conferences. So quite a quite an experienced um, man who's been quite at this for quite a long time. Yeah, thank you so much. And by the way, I'm not personal friends with Gloria. I wish I have so much respect <laughs> and admiration for her. But I, and I'm really, really incredibly grateful by the the endorsement that she gave of the book. She got a really powerful endorsement about to the book. Yeah, that's definitely something that stands out. You know, it's not every day that we get someone as famous as Gloria Estefan, you know, endorsing our book. So um, it's nice, I guess, to have that reference. It's not the be all and end all, but I guess it's just nice because it's a kind of eye popper, isn't it? An eye catcher. Um, so, yeah, listen, um, as I said, you, you have such a journey, such an amazing journey. And um, I guess like the things that you talk about in that book are, are things that I try to communicate. But it, it, I find it a lot harder um, communicating that live or just kind of talking about it off the top of your head. So, you know, for you to be able to sit down and research that and, you know, get your kind of thoughts together and, and speak it and write it in such a passionate and beautiful way is, is so inspiring to me. Um, and I just kind of wish that they were the kind of languages and phrases and, and sentences that I could maybe communicate with that just kind of showed me um i guess it didn't quite show me but it, it, it it's kind of um this kind of realization that the message that i try to communicate that could be potentially a lot more um, coherent and potentially beautiful um so maybe i'll just start taking quotes out of your book and, and speaking them in my next podcast <laughs> thank you so much Gina. That, that means a lot yeah and it took a lot of work it's, yeah i was working on it for 10 years but not 
I was brewing it for 10 years. I wasn't actually working on the book for 10 years. You know, I'd have, I was testing out some concepts on, in, in retreats and with personal coaching and that kind of thing. And, but I was so busy, you know, like traveling from one speaking engagement to another, another one retreat to another, traveling all over the world, um, offering retreats and workshops and breath work. Um, and it took COVID, it took the pandemic. I went from 100,000 miles on an airplane um, a year to none. And so it took the pandemic to sit my butt down and, and get the stuff out of my head and onto the computer and then paper. So, you know, without minimizing the tragic aspects of the pandemic, for me, um, it was a good thing. Yeah, and, uh, obviously, you know, there, there was so much life lost and obviously it's a very kind of controversial subject because so many people had so many different yes. opinions on it. But you know, another good thing, you would guess that the main thing is to look for the positives out on, on a personal scale, on a worldwide scale, it's provided many people the opportunity to reassess their lives, you know, and, and what's kind of going exactly. on in their life. And with you getting that opportunity to to publish that book, and obviously and it was released during the pandemic, I'm sure a lot of people would have picked that book up and read it and potentially been inspired to look at their own life and, and, and assess their own life and recognize that what potentially they're doing isn't worthwhile and isn't um, isn't for their highest good and hopefully then been inspired to to transform themselves and do the work that you mentioned within the book. Yeah. And, and in fact, what we're talking about is, is one of the messages of the book, which is part of the process of empowerment is, is shifting this kind of victim relationship with, with life. We feel done to by life. We, you know, if only this hadn't happened, if mom hadn't been this way or dad had done that or, or, or the teacher or the minister, if only the system was set up differently. And without minimizing anybody's trauma, we've all experienced traumatic stuff to different degrees. Um, without, you know, acknowledging that the world is not set up fairly and that the system is very unfair in in some critical ways, um, it's it's the attitude, right? So so what the, the message, one of the empowering message, messages of the book is saying that no matter what happened in the past. And no matter what happens going forward, because one thing we can count on is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way, whether it's a global pandemic or an unexpected war or economic crisis or personal divorce or illness, death in the family, there's stuff is going to happen that we just didn't see coming. And so rather than feeling like victimized and, and like kind of buffeted by life's ups and downs and curveballs, one, one way to frame that that is very empowering is to say like no matter what happened no matter what happens going forward we always get to choose how we show up in response and just shifting that that the way that we think about that is very empowering and it pops us out of this victim consciousness this, this victim mindset and and we start moving out of this kind of paranoid relationship with life you know like life it's me against the world kind of thing and life has it out, has it out for me and we walk around just waiting for the next shoe to drop um so we move out of that philosophy or relationship to life and we move into pronoia instead of paranoia and pronoia is a concept that says that life or the universe or whatever you want to call it has a vested interest in us that life has our back um and that and and that helps us to reframe that entire relationship yeah beautifully said 
Um, well said. Just before we get into the book, um, would you mind giving us some background about your life and how you grew up? And because I know that um, we talked about this before the show about some of the hardships that you'd kind of faced and you know, kind of growing up and moving away from that and um, ending up following a, a spiritual teacher and investing all your kind of money in that um, until tensing the point where, you, where you're kind of at now. I know it's a kind of long journey, but um, if you could just give us a brief summary, that would be great. Sure, and you know, I, I started the I started the book by saying that I'm an unlikely person to be writing about personal empowerment and to be writing about what it means to live heroically, um, because my my entire adolescence was one long depression. I know self doubt intimately. I know self hatred, um, and I was incredibly shy uh, and introverted as a as a as a kid. Um, and so for me, you know, flash forward to now, um, like no matter what happens in my life, no matter the details, no matter the circumstances, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, whether a project succeeds or it fails, never, ever, ever do I question my sense of self. My, my level of self-acceptance and self-love are established and unshakable. And so that's why I feel the confidence that I feel in writing this book, uh, because in the teachings that I share and some of the practices that I share, some of the philosophies and ways of looking at life that I share in this book, and I kind of walk the reader hand, but you know, by the hand in a very piecemeal way, very practical, um, manageable way, short chapters, because I know how busy everybody is and I know how intimidating reading a whole book can be to some of us. <laughs> So by making it short chapters, but with interactivity. So every chapter has power practices that are connected yes. to it. And those practices are designed to help us integrate the teachings, to help us apply them to our lives because, so that they don't stay at the level of information. We don't need any, any more information, as you know, Zenith. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that comes from really taking on and living these teachings. And if they work for me, I know they can work for for anybody. Um, and and so 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 yeah, a little bit more to that. I was born in Cuba, lived in Cuba my first ten years, um, in a communist country, um, for which I'm actually very grateful too. Because once we came to to the U.S., uh, where I've lived most of my life, um, you know, it develops a sense of appreciation for things that many people who have lived in in, in the West and in democracies and in free countries take for granted. Um, like even, you know, just little things like chewing gum, you know, what's, what's chewing gum to us in, in, in developed countries or developing countries is nothing. Like we stick a gum in our, in our mouth and spit it out and don't even think about it. When we were kids, and I'm, I'm part of a large family, I'm one of nine kids, um, Catholic family, um, and, and we had it better than most because my parents um, had friends who worked in foreign embassies. So a couple times a year, my, my parents would get a little, you know, a box of chiclets uh, and we'd divide them between the kids and we'd chew it all day. At the end, at the end of the day, we'd get a glass of water with, you know, a little bit of water at the bottom. We'd put some toothpaste in it and our gum in it and stir it up and hide it so my mom wouldn't throw it out. And so that it would be minty the next day. And then we'd keep it going for, you know, a week, two weeks at a time until she found it and, and threw it out. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's. I'm actually grateful because we also had a TV, and but there was nothing really worth watching. So we grew up reading, um, and we grew up creating, inventing, 
our own games and, and pastimes. And, and I'm really grateful for that too. Yeah, that, that you're 100%, right? I, I was just ruminating on this uh, the other day, you know, because um, we, I've obviously been through a lot of hardships and, you know, a lot of loss of things that um, I would have considered to be part of my life. Um, and when I kind of looked at my own kind of situation and something, I can't remember, I was watching a documentary or something, um, I was in India, and when I kind of looked at the hardship that a lot of those people um, face, I kind of recognize, you know, how privileged I actually am to even have the things that, you know, I'm considering um, are, um, are substandard, I guess. So it, it is, it's a perspective. It's all about looking at things. And you're absolutely right. You know, so a lot of the things that we take for granted here in, in the Western society um, are, are absolute privileges to other parts of the world. Um, for, for me in this country, I've talked about it quite a lot, we, we've kind of turned into a throwaway society. Um, it's, it's even changed since I was a kind of a young boy, which was a long time ago. Um, and, uh, you know, the things like, you know, ch children's toys, you know, there's no kind of fixing these items. There's no kind of fixing bikes. Um, they're just kind of cast away and thrown away, you know, if something breaks. Um, and, and yet we still talk about poverty, you know, poverty in, yes. in, in this country here. And I kind of go, well, I don't see the poverty, you know, is poverty maybe not having things that people in other countries would consider absolute privileges. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a perspective about things and it's it's a kind of um, looking at things and, and, and realizing, well, you know, some of the things that, that I would tend to see look down upon would be considered, you know, an absolute privilege in other countries. And just to kind of wrap this up a wee bit, you know, I, I've traveled around, I've been to some really poor countries, I've been to parts of Africa, um, we've been to parts of Borneo, we've been to um, uh, Peru and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the things like even even an empty water bottle or, you know, a kind of broken trainer or, or would be considered absolute luxury items for, for some of those people. So yeah. you're absolutely right, and it, it does. It requires a different perspective and a change of perspective. Yeah, and you're so right. It's it really is a state of mind. I know multi-millionaires who live stuck in fear, and who are stuck in survival mode. And you know the slightest adjustment in the market, and they go into crisis and fear. Um, and and so, and how much will it take? How many millions will it take for for them to feel you know a sense of trust? And, and inner peace. And, and I don't think there's a, a limit to that because it's, it's a state of mind. I also know people who don't have, um, you know, who don't have a lot of stuff physically and they're happy, they're content, they're, they have a, a, a beautiful relationship with life and then they, they have inner peace. They look at themselves in the mirror um, and sleep well at night um, and love their life. Um, and, and you mentioned that word gratitude, which I spent um, one of the short chapters on it's so important. Um, it is one of the paths to soulful power that I write about in the book, um, and, and and a beautiful practice because if if we spent you know five minutes in the morning on, on the way to work, um, on on the bus or the train or driving to the office, and just came up with three things that we're grateful for. Um, it shifts everything because we, we can't have, we can't be in gratitude and fear. We can't be in gratitude and anxiety, right? It's, it's like we can only be in one of like, and, and, and gratitude actually in Spanish, gracias, which means thank you, also means gracia, also means grace. 
And to me, gratitude is a state of grace. It is. You're absolutely right. And just to kind of expand it maybe just a little bit further, you know, and this is what I was trying to to get at in your last point about growing up and being grateful for those things because it's gratitude. And I was mentioning, you know, a loss of kind of uh, surface level material in my kind of life. All right, maybe a bit more than that. But yet I still most days wake up and that's kind of the first thing I do is have gratitude for the day ahead. And at the end of the day, if I remember, I have gratitude for the, the, the things that have been brought to me. Even the hardships that are in my life, I have gratitude for those because they're helping me transform. They're helping me learn. So although exactly. it's painful going through a difficult process, you know, I think it's, it's, it's helpful if you have gratitude for that. And with gratitude comes love, comes bliss, comes acceptance, all those great qualities. You're absolutely right. It's such an important thing that people overlook. I think most people just have gratitude for, for material items, but it's more than that really, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, even, even grateful to be in a body, um, to be in this yeah. journey of embodiment um, at this incredible time. Yeah, confusing times, challenging times, but it's, it's the way that you're framing it. Rather than focusing on the negative and the challenges and the fear and the chaos and the uncertainty, if we focus on the opportunities for growth, like, yeah, it sucked. The pandemic sucked. It, it, so many people died. So many people lost jobs. It impacted the global economy in ways that we're still living from and, and feeling the impacts of that. Um, and yet, I also know, like you were pointing to, there's so many people who, who took the opportunity. Um, the mandatory break, you know, the, the mandatory global timeout, and really went inside and asked themselves the hard questions. Am I doing what I'd love to, to do? What am I here for? Um, so like the pandemic kind of focused things in a way to know that we just never know how long we have on this planet. And so it kind of heightened that perspective and heightened what's important. Um, I know some relate people who ended relationships. I know people whose relationships got really strengthened by it. But so how, how do, what do we do with what we got? Yeah. How, how do we react to that situation? How do we, right. how, do we react with negativity? Do, do we, because it's another part of your book, you know, this kind of victim, victimization, you no know, woe is me, you know, the, the, the universe is unfair, life is conspiring to act against me, you know, and uh, the opposite of that is, is, is empowerment, is about, okay, well, this is a situation that I'm in, how can I learn from it, how can I grow from it, um, it's just all a way of looking at the world. But your, your book I found um, just fascinating because um, it's obviously part of the Calling All Heroes series. And in this book, you are talking about anyone, as we've just talked about there, anyone who's doing this kind of work, who's reassessing their life, who is trying to change, trying to um, stop falling into victim mode and do all these kind of things, um, is what you would call a hero. And it really did strike me because I've never really considered that idea. You know, because we, I guess, in our modern media and our societies, especially now with all these kind of superhero um, movies out, but even films like Indiana Jones and all that there, we kind of have that um, archetype. Um, well, that's what a hero looks like. And um, I use the word hero here to, as you quite rightly um, use, as to establish um, that it that includes both genders. There's, 
Right. Not the silly heroin hero, Mr. and Mrs. at the end of the day. Like it's, it's just this idea of you're a hero regardless of your gender. So in our, our modern society, we're, we're kind of told that heroes are people who are superpowers, people who are, you know, saving the world, people who are saints. But what you're trying to get across to people is that if you're trying to change yourself and thereby changing the world, you're a hero for even doing this work. Because you're changing society, one less person who's falling into this victimization or victimhood, one less person who is, you know, gossiping about person, one less person who is um, on a path to destruction or causing the problems that we see in the world. It's such a powerful, powerful message. Yes, yes. And, and you're so right, Zenith. And I actually you know, went against the advice of a pub publishing and marketing consultant who said, don't use the word hero. Um, and, and it's because the, we, most of us struggle with that word. Like, like wow, I, I can't imagine that there's a hero inside of me. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, going back to the pandemic, it, it, it helped us redefine and expand the way that we think of what heroism means. Like most of us think of, of, when we think of the word hero, we'll think of either a superhero, like you're talking about, or somebody, a warrior, a first responder, um, somebody who places their life, their life at risk for the sake of somebody else or for a larger cause. And then the pandemic forced us to include, um, you know, our, our healthcare practitioners, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, who literally uh, placed their lives and made at risk and made huge sacrifices to keep the rest of us alive. Um, and as healthy as possible. And I would even include delivery people and grocery store clerks who also made so many sacrifices to keep the rest of us supplied and, and fed. Um, and, but what about the rest of us, right? That's the question. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the, the book focuses about what it means to live heroically in, in, in that day-to-day -day basis. And you're right, like having having the courage and the willingness to look inside and to ask ourselves the hard questions. Who am I? How did I get here? What are my patterns? What are my triggers? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I get in these patterns of, of self-sabotaging uh, and self-destructive behaviors? Why do I get stuck in these relationship patterns that sometimes feel like I'm in the same boring movie? My, maybe the, with a different co-lead, a different actor, but it's the same crap the same kind of arguments, the same kind of issues coming up over and over again. And at some point we have to get real and we have to get honest and say, you know what? There's one common denominator in every one of those arguments, in every one of those relationships and it's right here. And so why, right? Why do I do that? Why do I get stuck in these, in these patterns? And why do I seem to attract people who are not a match, who are not available? And so all those questions, you know, what you were talking about, popping out of a victim mode, taking responsibility for our lives and for our emotions, um, choosing to, to respond rather than just react automatically when somebody says something that's hurtful uh, to us, those are all, um, to me, they're heroic and, and incredibly difficult things to do. Just even developing awareness about our emotions, that takes work. And, and it's, 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 it's incredibly worthwhile to do all those things um, and to look inside. The, the reward for that is, you know, relationships that, that have a chance of working. It's that sense of personal empowerment that we're talking about, uh, a life that is filled with meaning and purpose. And I think ultimately the ultimate reward is freedom. 
so that we get to do what we do in our lives and live our lives how we, however we live them from choice, from freedom of choice, rather out of rather than out of some unhealed past trauma or some misunderstanding of something that happened to us when we were kids. And so we made conclusions about ourselves um, because of those situations. Somebody said something to us the wrong way, and we took it on as truth that there's something wrong with us, that we're too much of this, not enough of that, that we're damaged goods, that we're not worthy of love. All those conclusions that we make that have no basis on reality and that have impacted all of our relationships. There were just misunderstandings of young minds that didn't didn't know any better. So... Yes, it takes work to go inside and to look at within, and it's nothing short of heroic, and it is infinitely rewarding and powerful to do that. Yeah, that, that's such a beautiful sentiment, such a beautiful statement. And I was actually doing a live talk um, on an app the other day, and I was talking about this idea of a spiritual awakening, and I couldn't quite find the words. And I wish I remembered your book because it just speaks these. This is what you're saying there is what I was trying to get across. This idea of this inner work, it's about changing your mindset, changing the way you think, the way that you look in the world is going to help you cultivate these changes within yourself so that you have a massive shift in consciousness. Um, yes. So I, I wish I wish I had remembered that. Um, I feel like I'm back in time now for frick's sake. But um, well, he, just, he, just, he just describes it very eloquently, <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah, well, it, it didn't didn't seem quite elegant. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess that's why, as you, as you touched upon there, why that we um, why why we look at ourselves, or why you're talking about anyone who kind of does this for anyone who doesn't understand doing this inner work upon yourself this transformative work is the hardest thing that you will do it is the hardest work that you will ever do that giving advice to someone else for a situation or anything else is the easiest thing to do in the world it's easy to give advice because you have no dog in this race you have a minute so if things fall apart or it doesn't work out you have no investment and you've kind of lost nothing you may feel bad for the person you know, but so giving advice about, oh, you need to change this or you need to do this here is, is so easy. Go and try and do it yourself. Go and try and look inside yourself and yeah. realize it's easy for people to say, I don't need to do that. There's nothing wrong in my life. Maybe yeah. there isn't, and, and maybe there is. It's only when you kind of do this work, then you begin to realize how actually out of balance that you actually are and how much more that you can achieve in life. Um, and just when you were touching upon there, I think that. A lot of our society is just kind of this on autopilot. They just do things without thinking why, as you say, why am I like that? Why do I behave in this way? You know, why do I react in that way? What what are my feelings trying to teach me? You know, what are my feelings saying? Why am I feeling that? Whereabouts am I feeling? Where does that feeling come from? Um, People just, well, I just feel it. This is me. This is the way I react. This is the way I respond. So it's, for me, it's this idea of people are just on autopilot. They're kind of robotic. They don't actually sit down and, and try to understand where it is they've come from and why it is that they just are. And when we see, especially in today's culture, someone who's, um, you know, tendency does something that's out of place in society, then we have this kind of judgmental society. And um, people are just quick to judge. They are quick to. Um, get on social media and, and we've heard this idea of a Twitter storm. 
you know, that and people are forced to apologize for the inch of their lives. Yeah. But people don't have that basis within them to 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 look inside themselves and, and realize that what they're um, angry about or what they're asking that person to apologize for or what they are shaming that person for has a lot of basis within their own life or something similar. I find that quite a lot that people, you know, don't actually look upon themselves. You know, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes total sense. I think our society conditions conditions us to numb out, to not think, to run away from ourselves, to escape from our emotions. But and we're so brilliant at doing that, right? We we numb out. We don't want to feel uh, the stuff, so we numb ourselves out either with substances uh, or food or sex or social media or gaming or even too much exercise or too much work. We th those are all strategies that we use. Um, in TV um, to 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 run away from ourselves, but the thing is that all that stuff that we're running away from is not going to go away, no matter how far deep we stuff it under in, or try to stuff it under the subconscious of, of our attention. Um, it's only going to grow worse. It's only going to fester, and it's going to continue impacting us and 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 our relationships from the subconscious. So it's not a good strategy. It's only going to get worse. Um, and and so yes, it's so important. It's in, and not easy as as we're saying. It's it's heroic work to go inside and ask those questions. But it is freedom, empowerment. That's what we get. So 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 let's give an example of that. Say you and I have a friend, uh, Joe, that runs inevitably twenty minutes late. And so I have lunch with Joe on Monday. You have lunch with him on Wednesdays. So there I am on Mondays, like I knew it. I knew I should have told him a different time so he'd be here in time, or I should have just shown up late myself. He's so selfish. He is so inconsiderate, so self-absorbed. He doesn't care about anybody but himself and all the stories, right, et cetera. All the stories we make up about each other and the judgments. And then because we're so also conditioned to to be afraid of the emotions and to, and to confrontations, to avoid conflict, um, Joe gets there and I stuff it, I put on a fake smile, but then that resentment, that anger starts dripping out of the side of my mouth and it comes out in, in, in a joke or a bar, you know, comment with a barb, a hook in it. Um, and then we don't really handle it, right? So, or we say like, that's it. I'm not having lunch with Joe anymore, but nothing happens. I start having Joe with lunch with Mary and then Mary starts showing up until late until I get my lesson, right? So what's what would it look like for me to get my lesson? Because there you are on Wednesday and Joe's late and you're just like, great. Like, wow, let me return that phone call. Let me catch up on my email. Let me read that article that I've been wanting to read online. So many possible different ways that I, we can respond to Joe's lateness. Why does it get my goat so much? And so that's the question, right? Why do we do the things we do? So it might look something like this, right? It's not just when Joe shows up late, it's when anybody shows up late, it gets my go. So what is that? It's not, so now I know it's not about Joe. Uh, so, and it's not only that, if I zoom out even more and expand my, my question, is when anybody interrupts me, when anybody cuts me off in conversation or they cut me off in traffic, same thing. I, my stuff comes up, it gets my go. What is that? What am I really feeling? Right, if, 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 sorry, what am I really feeling? I'm feeling unseen, unappreciated, I'm feeling disrespected, I'm feeling not valued. Um, and if I get really honest, start, start looking at my life, my lunch with that, those feelings have been around inside me much longer than I've been having lunch with Joe. 
So what, what Joe's lateness is doing is triggering this unhealed part of me um, that, you know, some belief that I got from childhood, from early childhood, probably, probably going back to a relationship to my, with mom and dad that we misheard something or misinterpreted something and we decided that there's something wrong with us, that we're not worthy, that we don't, we don't deserve to have attention. So because those are such intense feelings to have, we stuff them. But again, they don't, they don't go away. So now anybody does something that we interpret as, as disrespect, it triggers that old wound that which we also don't want to feel. So we turn it into anger and, and focus it over there rather than doing whatever work we need to do here to heal that misunderstanding so that anybody can show up late, anybody can do anything and we're free. Always a choice, right? We can always choose not to continue having lunch with Joe or not to be BFS with anybody that be BFS with anybody that we don't want to be in relationship with. But we do it from a place of choice, a place of freedom, rather than living out of something that was unresolved from childhood. It's like not a good strategy, not a good way to live. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, once again. Um, maybe taking it a little step further, you know, because I've had experience of this, of um, maybe not even someone who's, who's being late, you know, you're right to trigger something within us, any kind of emotional reaction that we have to a perceived slight but someone actually physically threatening threatening you someone you know um you know verbally threatening you or physically threatening you you know it's hard to digest that i guess you know it's hard to to not fall into the victim of that but again it, it, it's well it, it seems to be quite obvious you know that, that person threatened me or that person abused me but how can we respond to that situation how can we you know what are we learning from that situation other than potentially the person is 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 a bit rude or whatever but this because i've had experience of this and i've had to say to myself why am i feeling anger around this situation why do i want this idea of revenge within me why do i want to go off and do 101 things on this person who caused yeah. that emotional reaction in me you know what is it stirring up within me i'm wondering is there anything that you would speak to about that because i'm sure that's a not just me but a quite a tricky situation for for a lot of people yeah yeah i mean so many so many points that you bring up in that question one is right we're, we're at choice like in stepping in owning our power um and stepping into our power we st we still you know we're, we're doing so in an intelligent way so if we get accosted by three guys with guns or knives in a dark you know corner or dark street it may not be the right time to say well this really doesn't work for me guys, right? And that may be the time to just hand over the wallet. Uh, it's, a, it's a case by case situation. Um, and, and, and again, you know, it's like, yeah, those are the toughest ones. The, the, the things that human beings do to each other, especially that do to kids, um, yeah. that it's hard to, those are the hardest ones to pop out of the victim mode about, because as a kid, what, what did we do to deserve that? But, but that's where I go back to that way that I was. So, so I'll say it again. This is not to minimize anybody's trauma. It's not to deny that. Like stuff happens that should have never happened. And I'm really sorry about that. And if we're still holding on, you know, to uh, holding whatever happened, if we're holding that person for what they did or didn't do responsible for our state of being, if we're holding on to the system, right, to the unfair system, which is not denying that, that there isn't an unfair system, there is, uh, but if we're holding on, holding that responsible for our state of being, we just gave our power away. 
-hmm. right? So, so that's why I'll go back to saying it again, that it's like, like, I'm really sorry about what happened. There's nothing we can do about that, except choose how we show up in response. And when we reframe it in this way, right? Like that sucked, I wish it hadn't happened. And what am I gonna do about it? How am, how am I gonna show up in response? And, and I'll, I'll give you a personal example, you know, something that I hardly ever talk about in public and certainly not on a podcast, but I was, I was sexually abused and I, you know, be, and, and using modalities like breath work and some of the teachings that I share in this book, um, like that stuff gets healed. And I've, I've worked with many, many people who have also here healed traumas like that, you know, a rape, sexual abuse, um, you know, even violent stuff. Um, and it's, it's like these days, like we can reframe it. All right. So that I wish that hadn't happened, but it happened, but you know what? There's, there's things that happened because of that, for which I'm actually grateful. Like I'm actually grateful by the, by the, by the depth of compassion that was born in me because of that, because mm -hmm. I know what that feels like. The details are different. The circumstances are different, but I know the pain of that. Um, and because of that, I also know how to help people get free of that stuff. And, and that is priceless in my book is like, I am so grateful that I have that depth of compassion yeah. and the ability to get people get healed and free from that kind of stuff, from that kind of trauma. Um, yeah. And so I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. And I really do appreciate your candor for, for, for giving that as that very personal and deep example. But I guess it goes back to this idea of victimhood and, you know, like, what are we going to do with that experience? Although, in a way, you wish you could have learned those lessons and those understandings without that happening. It was through that traumatic experience that you have learned to grow and share and have that empathy and stuff for, for other people. Um, it, it really is. But I, as I said, I just really appreciate your candor for, for coming out. And one thing I, I we wanted to kind of touch on what you mentioned in your book is about the state of the world today um, about higher institutions and how are, are the people that we put our responsibility in and this is kind of touching you know on, on personal transformation and being our own hero um, our religious institutions our politicians our people in positions of power um, influencers and all that sort of stuff how that is all kind of feeling and falling down around us um, and it's kind of no longer relevant once we kind of awaken to our true power we no longer need to give our power away as you were saying to these kind of people um we begin to realize certainly that's been been my case you know where i, I don't um <laughs> well i haven't for a long time but this idea of stardom um celebrity um politicians and celebrities uh these kind of religious institutions where we're kind of certainly in the christian catholic religion which i've great experience of too of kind of buying down before the priest and you know waiting for the priest to absolve us we, we once we are kind of awakened to our own power once we kind of do this transformative work we no longer need to rely on on those people then in our societies we you know we, we become empowered ourselves, um and it just forms this great transformation within us i think yes yes and, and you're right, the, the stronger our sense of self, the more that we know who we are, the more that we step into our power, the less that we need anybody's external approval or validation. 
right? So, so that's what this journey is about, is about, a, about strengthening um, our, our, our self-esteem, our self-acceptance, and it begins with self-awareness because we can't do anything about what we don't know about, right? So if, if we're stuck at, at the level of being angry, angry at Joe because he's late, then we're just going to stay at that level of being angry at Joe or anybody else because they're late. If we're willing to do that heroic work of looking within and looking at the hard questions of why does that trigger me and why do I keep attracting those, those people who trigger that and what am I going to do about it, then then we can get free. Then we can heal all those things. And you're absolutely right. We tend that's part of the reason that we we have a conflicted relationship with power is that we tend to associate it with things outside of us we tend to think people who are powerful are those who have money who are who are famous who are high up on some kind of hierarchy whether it's the corporate ladder or some kind of religious organization or whatever but because all those expressions of power are external they're outside of us that means they're fickle here today gone tomorrow as many people discovered when their companies went belly up because of the pandemic. Um, and in contrast with, you know, so, so that, that's what I call worldly power, the way that the world looks at power or ego power. Um, and, and so that kind of power is always, always has an agenda. It's always trying to grab something for itself. It's always self-aggrandizing, like blowing itself up to seem bigger than it is. In contrast with what I call spiritual power or, soulful power you know that's inside each and every one of us nobody can give it to us nobody can take it away we are the only ones who give it away and the sad part zenith as you know is that it's the lame reasons for which we give it away like we say yes and when inside we really feel no like this is not okay with me uh, for an illusion of ex for, of security. We override our feelings, our, our preferences, our desires, our dreams, and settle for, for a false sense of acceptance, for that false sense of security. We settle for crumbs of pseudo-love, um, and, and we, we stuff ourselves into small little packages to avoid conflicts, like, my God. And that stuff doesn't work out anyway um, when we approach it from that perspective. And so, the, the, you know, and, and again, like, like that spiritual power, that soulful power is humble. It doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. It, mm -hmm. It's about service, not, a, not about getting something for itself. It's about making a difference in the world. And it's like I think of a Gandhi or a Gandalf and, you know, from the Lord of the Rings and their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. We, from looking at them, we never know how much power they hold until it's needed and then get out of the way gandhi brought the british empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch talk about power yeah that's that's so so important and i think um a lot of the reason why we do get upset is because we were just talking there we give our power away to these people we put them in position of authority we look up to them and then when they disappoint us, it stirs up all this anger and resentment within us, you know, but it, we, we were the ones who elected these people. We are the ones who put them into position of choice because we don't realize how powerful we actually are, how much power that we have. And you're, so we, we look to external people. We look to external heroes. Um, I guess this is what 
with this book is about is, is recognizing that you are your own hero. You don't need an external person. You don't need an Indiana Jones type or a politician who's going to come. And I guess this is our political system. You know, we vote someone in four years or wherever it is. Uh, inevitably, they disappoint. And then someone else comes along and promises us the world. And we decide to vote them in. So or maybe it's a case of the lesser evil, only for them to disappoint. And we're on this kind of never ending cycle of going, you know, instead of going, right, well, when are we going to stop? When are we going to um, to wake up, I guess? When are we going to do the work upon ourselves and realize that, you know, all that we ever need is contained within inside us? And I guess of more, I think a lot of people feel, as you turn around and say, this illusion, well, how, how can I change the world? How can I, I'm only one person, what party I have? But if you do this kind of work upon yourself and you develop yourself and you transform yourself and you recognize the power that you have within you, okay, you may be one person, but if another person does that and another person does that and another person does that, and so many people who potentially are inspired to transform themselves based in the way that you've transformed yourself, what happens to our system? What happens to our old institutions of power then if we have enough people who have transformed themselves? then we change society then as a collective rather than just saying i'm one person i don't have the power but i guess what i'm trying to get if i haven't made myself clear if you have transformed yourself you are an inspiration to someone else who wants to transform themselves because you you've kind of tamed your ego you have a different outlook in life you've developed all these qualities um you seem to have this inner peace this radiance within yourself and i yes. think that's very not seductive, but it is very um, inspiring. Inspiring, I guess, um, to to someone else to to see that. So it naturally makes that person want. What is it you're doing? What have you trans? What what have you changed about yourself? So that transformation that you've done upon yourself becomes this magnet, magnetize, uh, magnetizing yeah. force to, to other people. And so that's how we change the system. That's how one person can inspire a difference absolutely never underestimate the power of one and the ripple effects of of what you're talking about of he, being willing to do the heroic work of healing ourselves and liberating ourselves um and stepping into our own power and our own purpose it's it makes all the difference and we, there's so many examples of of people like like malala the, the young pakistani woman who got the the yes. Nobel prize i mean just as somebody who could have been so easily felt like a victim you know, somebody who just because she wanted to go to school, people, you know, some guy threw acid in her face and and deformed her face. She, it would have been e so easy for her to be in like, whoa, woe is me, poor me, uh, and be so angry, um, whether towards men or towards life, towards the world. And what did she do with it? She became a global hero. She's like an advocate, an inspiration for women and young girls all over the world and for all of us, really. Um, and so you're absolutely right. The, the, never underestimate the power of one and just that willingness of do that internal work of healing and and empowering ourselves um, and i think what you're pointing about the political system zenith it's like that's the reason um that politicians and and leaders are so good at keeping people separate and turning people against each other and stoke you know stoking up fear to keep people separate and afraid of each other because once we get the power of, of coming together uh, with conviction and, and with high levels and high values and do something about all the challenges that we're facing as a species, beginning with, with climate change, um, it'll be 
uh, will be unstoppable. We'll be unstoppable. And then they'll really get that they work for us. But we're not, we, haven't, <laughs> yeah. we, haven't got, we haven't understood that yet. We haven't really gotten that yet. I know it's crazy, but we, 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 we've put these people into position to represent us. They're meant to be represented of us. But yet That's somehow right. we've got to a situation where, although we've put these people in power to represent us, somehow they have all the power. It, it's crazy when you think about it. And the same with religious institutions and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess one great example, and um, maybe it's slightly controversial, but I kind of, you know, growing up in the Christian Catholic faith, um, and it didn't resonate with me, you know, for whatever reasons, I kind of turned away from it and rejected it all, including the, the idea of Jesus. Um, and it's only kind of through this transformative work um, that I have looked, I guess, at, at that figure, you know, who has been put onto a pedestal um, by our religious organizations. But I guess when we look at really the story of Jesus through this lens um, of transformation, and take away a kind of the myth about he was the son of God. He was actually a kind of revolutionary. He was a, an anarchist. He came in and accepted the established order. His message was about going inside and doing the work and transforming yourself. It was never about, um, I'm the son of God, worship me, you know, through me, you'll find thing. It was about learn from my example. And I guess he was a threat to the established order because he was trying to inspire people you know, to change themselves within. Somehow we've ended up in a situation, and again, I don't want to be too controversial here, where his work and his message has been elevated and he's been put onto a pedestal. And once again, we're being told that it is only through this middleman that we have access to him. And I, I just, you know, it's, I, again, it's just something that I, that I do kind of like talking about a bit because once again, he was kind of the first hero because he's doing kind of what you're talking about now um, yes. of going inside yourself and transforming yourself. It's not about miracles and all that kind of stuff or, you know, this divineness. You know, if you transform yourself, you'll naturally feel that divinity come within you. So his message was was kind of the same. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, if it's we forget that Jesus was a Jew. And that he didn't set out. He had no intention to, to create a new, to start a new religion. He didn't. Oh, he had, it was, and I have huge respect for him. And I did like you have to heal my relationship with, yeah. with him and separate his incredibly beautiful, empowering message uh, from what's been said and taught and what's done in his name. Um, and, and not only in Catholicism, but all the different um, yes. variations of, of Christianity. Um, that Jesus would have nothing to do with. Um, and you're right. I mean, he, he, he had very powerful messages about the kingdom of God is within. And, and what is the kingdom of God? It's not this mythical place that we go to, but that state of being, that state of liberation, awakening, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. Like you're saying, he never claimed exclusive access to. Like he said, these and greater things you'll do. So he wasn't like, like, like you're saying, he wasn't here. He's like, hey, I, I'm the only one who gets to do this and worship me. And, and no, like he was empowering us to do what he was saying and to follow that path to freedom and to liberation. 
um, and to an authentic relationship with the sacred, however you relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, Joe. It's something that I meant to mention there a few um, questions, whatever, a few statements about because you've mentioned it quite a lot, and um, it is something that is extremely powerful about this idea of healing that we need to heal. We need to heal our relationships. We need to heal ourselves. We need to heal the way of the world. And um, I guess it doesn't matter where you are in life or what kind of ability you know you have or you know what it is everything boils down to healing everything that we do is healing healing ourselves on some level um and i, I kind of say this to someone who you know has done that kind of healing work and helps to heal others um but healing can come through the power of words it can come through the power of your voice it can come on the written page everything that we're doing currently on this planet is is about healing healing the self and healing society and um healing the planet as well and i guess that's why all of these disasters are coming because we're so out of balance with the natural way of things whether they're man-made disasters or whether they're natural disasters perhaps the world's trying to tell us something that we're heading toward down towards the wrong path yes yeah i you know i don't believe in abominations but if i were to the externalization of God, the externalization of the sacred to me is that. Uh, how much further could we have placed heaven away from us and away from this planet? Um, and where the hell is heaven anyway? And, and then we've created this, this false artif artificial dichotomy, this schism between the physical or, and the spiritual. Uh, and so everything that that we that's of the physical, we made it something less than, something to be conquered, subjugated, controlled. Um, in the case of the body, we animalized it. In the case of sexuality, we demonized it. So no wonder we have sexual issues as as a species. Um, and then everything of the sacred, we put it way away from us, like almost impossible to reach. Um, so so part of what I see are, are, and so no wonder, right? Because of that relationship with the physicals, no wonder we treat the planet the way that we do. Sort of this wham, wham bam, thank you, ma'am relationship. We rape and pillage and take and take and take without regard to even our own survival on this planet. So I, I agree with you that that's what we're facing. That's what's up for us, right? It's, it's like this we cannot continue to have this abusive adversarial relationship with nature because guess what? She's going to win. She's going to have the final word. Um, and to me, healing this relationship with, with nature, it, it is part of what's up for us. It's, it's the calling. It's, we have to do it. And to me, even the pandemic is a symptom of that, of this imbalanced relationship with nature that we've been um, having for the last you know, several thousand years of, of the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It just kind of reminds me of um, this quote that I, I think I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here, but it, it comes from one of these kind of great beings, and it was kind of talking about what we're talking about now, and they kind of said like, there's no outward shelter, no outward shelter in our life, from the gusts and flurries and blizzards of, of cruel catalyst. However, mm. to the pure, everything that's encountered speaks of the ever-present love that's there. So it's just mm. kind of that's um, not quoting it word for word but the important thing part about that was that there's no outward shelter everything yeah. happens from within so yes. 
if we're looking to change our, our physical world, if we're looking to change our sales, we need to go within and transform ourselves and that's potentially why we'll see, you know, nature, as you say, this this repairing and this healing relationship with nature and we'll see that, um, I guess, the, the anger within nature, I guess, you know, to, to be calmed down or for want of a better kind of term. I think that's why we're seeing so many kind of natural disasters is because of the state of consciousness that we're currently projecting in the world that we need to, as we've just been talking about, to go within ourselves, heal our relationship with ourselves, and um, mm-hmm. so we don't ha- are triggered by events, situations, and people, and um, so that we understand what it is that we're going through, so that we can help and understand what someone else is going through, um, and that way we can help heal the planet. Yes, and and you're right, and it all starts right here. Right. If we find if we want to find balance in the world, it has to start here. If we want to find balance between, between the masculine and the feminine energies in the world, it's got to start with us, too. Um, and, you know, because we're just talking about the patriarchy, which connects to power. Right. Because that toxic masculinity way of expressing power is hierarchical. It's about force, about control, about fear, about domination, about manipulation. Um, whereas the other kind of power that I'm talking about, which is, you know, we can say it's a more feminine expression of power. And by the way, that's one of the misunderstandings that we have as a species. We've turned the feminine into something weak. It's like, wait a minute. Like, what a faulty <laughs> assumption. You want to talk about, you want to talk power. You want to talk strength. You want to talk courage, resilience. Let's talk about the power of creation that resides in a female body. Um, and, and to be clear, these energies will course through all of us. They course through all of cre- all of creation. We get into, into trouble because we have turned one of them into something less than and inferior to the other. Um, and, and, you know, it's like that's part of what we're going through. These patriarchal systems that are no longer sustainable are imp- imploding in front of our eyes, whereas what's being birthed is this more power with approach. Um, which is spiritual power, soulful power, mm-hmm. is not threatened by by somebody else having power. You know, p- the, that power over approach, it is, right? Because it comes from that worldly power believes that there's a limited amount of it. So it feels that if you have power, you're taken away from home. Like there's a limited pie. Uh, so I've got to hoard it and it's mine and you can't have any and I'm going to keep keep you down i'm gonna keep my knee to your neck to keep you from having power um where it's like wait a minute if i'm in my own power if i know who i am then my approach to life is like hey i can handle anything i can handle whatever life throws my way and i can certainly handle myself and and have healthy boundaries and be clear about what's what works for me and what doesn't work for me and communicate that um and and not put up with anything that doesn't work work for me that and at the same time i can honor i can respect i can celebrate other people being in their power because i know i can handle that yeah why 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 are we so threatened why are we so threatened by different expressions of um i wouldn't even say power but just different expressions people wanting to express themselves why do we find it so threatening when someone you know suggests that, that, that they feel feminine i guess obviously you understand this concept as well is that femininity is not exclusive to to the female gender in the same way that masculinity is not exclusive to the male gender they're they're expressions of energy they're they're different emotions that are expressed there are as many 
women out there who um, behave in a masculine way, as there are as many, well, they're not quite like, but there's quite, quite a lot of women out there who are actually quite masculine, as there are men out there who are, who are feminine. Just because you're born into a gender doesn't necessarily mean for me that that expression of energy is uh, rightfully yours. And I think that what we're looking at in society, when we're talking about this, oh, the return in the femininity and everything's going to be feminine, you know, we're going to overturn the patriarchy. It's not for me about that. It's about finding the balance between the two. Right. And the problem is, is that because we've been such a patriarchal society and power is associated with patriarchy, uh, toxic masculinity, big, strong, macho man, you know, can't show their feelings, all this kind of thing, can't break down crying. Um, that has been the dominant force. And we need to rebalance that with this idea of femininity. It's something I like to have talked about. I've wrote a couple of posts on about gender expression and this idea of um, glamour as, as just being within kind of one gender. Yeah. Um, but I, for me anyway, because the, 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 the feminine expression has been so, um, uh, what's, what's the concept I use, so underwhelmingly expressed, we're seeing such a massive revival in it now. And for me personally, I think this is why we're seeing so many people who feel that they need to identify with the opposite gender, especially men who transition to women. For me, it's because it's not quite understanding that you don't quite need to transition to a woman, but it's because this real big feeling within inside you of this femininity. Um, that's just my kind of idea in it because I, I understand it. I've, I've been through it myself. I feel this very feminine side to me. I've had this message that came to me to say that once the, the masculine and the feminine are in balance, the heart is complete. And that really has spoken to me about that because then I feel whole, I feel unified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much, again, so much in what you just said. Um, I wouldn't dare to begin to, to, to claim that I understand, um, you know, the, a, a transgender person because I'm not one. I can understand it from the outside. I can I certainly have no judgment about it. Um, and I'm very grateful for the transgender community because they're forcing all of us to ask these questions, right? What, what is gender? And is gender really this binary, you know, black and white thing, um, which is not. In many indigenous traditions, there, you know, there were more than one gender. Uh, you know, the, the, the Native Americans used to talk about the, the two-spirited two -spirited people that contained within them both the masculine and feminine energies. Um, and so, and, 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 and I wanna highlight something else that you said about the, this patriarchal system because Again, without minimizing the price that women have paid, right, for this patriarchal uh, system, you know, it doesn't even begin to compare. And men are also paying a price for that because of what you were talking about. So let's look at a couple of statistics. Um, in the U.S., women outlive men by five years. Globally, by seven years. We look at suicide numbers, and I only have these for for the U.S. In the U.S., men commit suicide four times as frequently. And in fact, 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men, which I think inarguably still hold the majority of the power in the world. And so we would think, 
like, wow, shouldn't there be some benefit in terms of health, mental health and happiness and, and longevity within this group that holds the majority of the power? Shouldn't they have an advantage? But no, it isn't that way. And I think it's because of what you're talking about, because we have this mistaken, limiting idea of what it means to be a man. And because we've turned the emotions into weakness. And so we think, you know, since we're boys, little boys don't cry. Um, why is that? Because only little girls cry and because the emotions are weakness? It's like many, many faulty assumptions in that. Um, but because of that, we walk around like these uncaring, unfeeling robots. And there's a price to pay for that. Because what used to be spiritual teaching, that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics that it's so. So that means these bodies, even though they feel solid, this chair that I'm sitting on, energy, the emotions, energy. We know that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only transform, transmute into, into a different form. Um, so every time for the thousands of times that we have stuffed our emotions, they don't go away. They get stuck in the tissues of the body. And, and after a lifetime of suppressing emotions, we walk around with layers and layers and layers of repressed emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship all of it getting filtered through that lifetime of suppressed emotions and unhealed past trauma. And that energy has to come out one way or the other. So what happens is we suppress, 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 and then the next unfortunate one just comes and rubs us the wrong way, says something to us the wrong way, and boom, volcanic eruption, and we cause harm to our relationships. Or suppress, suppress, suppress. The only other thing that can happen is that energy starts seeping out and, and showing up as, as bodily symptoms, as illness, heart attacks, stomach ulcers, cancer. And I think that's the reason why the, that helps to understand why the longevity um, issue, yeah. the difference between men and women when it comes to longevity. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And just to kind of clarify what I was trying to, to get at there, I think that um, women in today's society are, are are the uh, the liberated gender within society? They're a lot more free to express themselves. They, um, you know, they, they, I think men are at a disadvantage now, and they don't know how to react. They don't know what to do in today's kind of liberated society of emotions of whatever whatever it is, you know, that that kind of goes on. Um, and I think that men are kind of stuck. They're kind of don't quite know where to to kind of move forward between the the old idea of masculine and this kind of embrace of you know yes. moving a bit more towards um this female uh, oriented kind of society that, that we're getting into this idea of freedom of expression of you know of expressing your emotions of um being able to break down and cry um i just there's just something kind of about that i i think that just women are a lot more liberated um through everything that they do um, freedom to express themselves in whichever way that they they, they choose to do um, and men are just kind of like well i can't, don't quite know how to move forward and i think that speaks a bit to to what you were saying is that unless you're you're getting in touch with these feminine qualities of yourself unless you're um, expressing yourself in a more kind of balanced healthy way um, yeah. of, instead of bottling up these emotions of being free to express yourself um free free to just tell people that you love them you know, like like women are very good at men are very terrible about that. What do you mean you right. love me? <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and because of those limiting 
definitions of what it means to be a man. And, you know, the book is for everybody. All of us struggle with issues around power, but it has a particular message for women. Um, and, and that comes from my belief that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that, that happens in the world, that needs to happen in the world. It's not to idealize women. It's not to put women up on a pedestal. Women also abuse power disproportionately, uh, but they but they do. Um, but it's because as a world, as a species, we've been we've, we've been running so off balance, so off kilter between those energies that we're talking about, the masculine and the feminine energies. And I believe that when women are in 50% of power in this world, that we're gonna have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and social justice and education and how we treat the environment, et cetera. So for me, it's like a strategic thing. Like what is one thing that we could focus on that will then impact all these incredible challenges that we're facing in this world? And to me, that's what I land on, the empowerment of women. And I also like, you know, don't, don't, I wanna honor men. I don't wanna leave men behind. So that's why I added a chapter on what it means to be a man in the 21st century. Like we, we need to redefine, to upgrade, to update the way that we think about masculinity. And so what I did in that chapter is come up with sort of, you know, some of the stereotypical or some of the roles that we that men have fulfilled throughout history yes. um, and redefine them, expand them, because I think that's part of the reason that so many men are struggling and why so many people are looking backward towards a more dictatorial, um, totalitarian way of being at this point in our lives, because there's so much change happening. And as women are becoming empowered, men are having to shift and and some are being threatened by that. Yes. Um, and so, you know, like, in, I don't have written global numbers for that, but I know that in the, U, in the US a few years ago, and the numbers are, that the dates are in the book, but in heterosexual households in the US, 40%, the woman is earning more than the man. At the same time, you combine that with the fact that so many jobs are being outsourced, so many jobs are being replaced uh, by computers and robots and technology that men are suddenly like, wow, like who am I if I'm not the provider? And so men are having a real difficult time and I get it and my heart goes out to them. And like what a limited way to think of yourself as a man if you're defining your masculinity by the size of your paycheck. Um, and so what about how, how can we expand that? Uh, what, so what if, what if we like say, say we're the, we're the father in, in a household, what if we provided a safe container, right? And what if we were that rock in the, in the family from which our spouse, our, our kids can feel so like supported that they can then experiment with different forms of being and with different ways of being in the world. Um, with, but having that certainty, that 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 rock, that dad is a rock, right? That is priceless. That is that is so much more infinitely more important than the size of the paycheck. Um, and so, because there's, there's the size of the pay paycheck, you know, there are other ways that money can be created. Providing that rock in a family is like not many people can do that. Um, and and so again, exploring, you know, like, like that's another typical role that men have played throughout history. Um, you know, we're running out of place to explore unless you go out into far out into outer space or deep into the oceans. Um, but what about searching within? 
Right? What about becoming that hunter, you know, that explorer that's looking for the places in ourselves that need healing, that the places in ourselves where we have been selling out on our power, the places in ourselves where there's still self-doubt, where there's still self-hatred and healing those for not only for our sake and the sake, the sake of our happiness, but for that, that of our loved ones, because those ripple effects are going to go out and impact everybody around us. Yeah, and I know you mentioned that in your book about, you know, redefining what it means to be a man and finding different um, roles, you know, and, and all these kind of old kind of roles about the provider, the hunter, the gatherer, the um, even the destroyer, you know, um, it's about taking those old roles and finding new kind of roles to, to be that way, the protector, you know, why don't you protect your family with love and kindness and protect against false information um you know protect the yes. earth you know be a be a be a be a steward of the earth and um, yes so many of these different kind of things if you need to destroy something you know, destroy old ideals old beliefs limiting limiting yes. things so, so many different roles that you talk about that the 22nd or 21st man can kind of step into you know if he feels those old kind of roles those kind of power structures falling down there are so many good roles that have to do with creating and even if it, even if the, the outlet isn't about creating, well, if you find that need to destroy, destroy the things that are harmful within your That's society, true. within your community and stuff like that, stop false information coming through. So there are so many different roles that, that, that men can now inhabit um, that, that, you know, we can, we can still fulfill that role as the traditional man, but just in a different way. Beautiful, beautiful. And yes, um, it's you know it's obvious Zenith that you and I uh, would are not going to run out of stuff to talk about, um, and that we can just go from from one fascinating topic of conversation to another, um, and so I wanted to thank you. I've, I've got to run. I just looked yeah, at the yeah. time, realized that we. Uh, that, I didn't. That I didn't get the. <laughs> I said yeah, I'd, I'd written like three pages of notes, and that was condensing it. There's so much that I didn't because I didn't get to talk about the ego and so many oh my good things. You know what? Maybe when you release your second book, we'll get back on again. And I would and, like that. I would like look, that. Just, just quickly, Christian, um, let us know um, what your plans for the future are, because we've mentioned that there's a second book in the, in the making. Yeah, I'm about halfway done with the second book, which is uh, focuses on relationships and how to do, how to have relationships that can actually have a chance of working. Um, and how to approach them consciously. So if, if you are in a relationship and you've got those basic human needs for companionship, uh, sex, family, and all that good stuff, then what? How do we use that form, that container of the relationship to speed up our own process of healing and, and, and um, evolution? And if you're not in relationship and would like to be, how do we clear, identify and clear and remove those subconscious patterns uh, that have us blocking? Um, relationships by by having us attract subconsciously, of course, uh, people who are not a match, people who are not available, people who live on the other side of the world, people who are already with somebody else. So what's up with that? And how do we heal those patterns? The, the third book is on life purpose. Like, what are we really doing here at a soul level, at a mission level? And how do we stop playing small um, and, and stuffing ourselves uh, into smaller little packages so as not to, to rock the boat too much? um or out of fear of, of survival um and i'm also you know the, the other things that i'm working on i'm I've, because of covid after doing you know live events and retreats and workshops mm -hmm. for 30 years covid kind of forced my hand and 
and to create virtual online programming, which I've, I've known for years I needed to do because people, you know, people from other parts of the world may never be able to come to one of my events. So I'm also grateful for that because, and yeah, I took the opportunity and I created um, virtual online programming. I've, I've got a year long coaching program that people are having amazing success, success with. Um, I am because of this, you know, I'll go back to doing retreats and workshops. In fact, I'm already starting to schedule them again. Um, the first couple, um, but here's what I'm, here's what I've, what I've learned over the years. People would, and some number of people would come to a weekend and have this amazing experience and see themselves from a more expanded way, like life-changing in many ways. And if they didn't have a support system, a practice, um, uh, accountability when they went back home, it's not hard to get sucked into the distractions of life and the day-to-day -day and all the demands of life. And pretty soon, if we're not paying attention, the old voices of fear and self-doubt and those self-defeating behaviors and self-sabotaging patterns start creeping up again, started, you know, they would start creeping up again and then the dragon went down and then they'd have to come to another retreat. What I'm loving about this year long structure is that I get to stretch out the teachings over the course of a year, deliver it bite size, piecemeal, just a little bit at a time, but with those interactive power practices that we were talking about before that are designed to integrate the teachings so they don't stay at the level of information. Um, and also accountability. So every two weeks, coaching calls with me, which what I've discovered is it makes the transformation a lot more sustainable. And, and also because I know that not everybody can swing uh, a year-long coaching program. I'm, I'm in the midst of creating this summer a shorter, you know, four, five, six-week transformational program. Okay, that, that sounds fantastic. It really does. Sounds really, really interesting. And I guess if anybody who um, has listened to this conversation and, and has enjoyed it or intrigued, um, where can they find you? Where can they get a hold of you? Where can they get your book? Where can, what's your website? Thank you so much for asking that question, Zenith. The book is available wherever books are sold. So you can order it at your local bookstore if you want to support them, or you can get it on, on Amazon or any of those other websites that you can get books on. In terms of reaching me, probably the best way is my, my website. And then from there, they can access my social media. Um, my website is soulfulpower.com. S-O-U-L-F-U-L-P-O-W-E-R.com. And for anybody who's watching this and who goes to my, my website and gets on my email list, and we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you down the road, but anybody who gets on my email list was, will send them a sample chapter on the book of the book, the one that talks about what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. We'll send them some of these power practices that we're talking about. I will send them a guided meditation that I created in like the worst part of the pandemic to focus on how do we live into trust? How do we move into a place of trust in the midst of these global times of uncertainty and fear and chaos? Wow, wow, fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to leave us with one, because uh, I'm sure there's many, and there was many in your book that we didn't get around to. As I said, I highlighted so many. Can you leave us with one, one kind of inspiring piece of, 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 of um, whatever, one, one inspiring message, something that you can sum up, you know, that people can do right away, something that you think is the core of your message? Yeah. 
I think there are two, there are two keys to freedom. Not that there aren't more, but the two that I focus on that I teach about. Um, one is understanding the ego, um, and we don't have time to get into it here, but get the book because it explains it really, really well in a way that we can relate it to to our own lives, so that we can let ourselves free from its self-made prison of fear and lack and limitation and victimization and self-righteousness and judgment, etc. All the stuff that keep us imprisoned. Um, and so that we can let ourselves free from, from all that, all those self-defeating behaviors. Um, the other thing that I get into in the book as well is the power of the breath. And I actually have a TEDx talk about called just that, the power of the breath. So any, any practice that you can do to help you deepen your connection with the breath, that's where the secrets to, to healing and to peace of mind are. If you think about it, in most spiritual traditions, the same word, one word can mean breath or spirit, depending <laughs> on the context. Uh, so the more that we can deepen our, our relationship with the breath, the more that we'll find inner peace. And you know, there are swamis in India that have that much control over their body that they can tell the heart to slow down and the heart slows down. Some of them even mimic, they get so relaxed that they mimic, like they can get to a deep place that it's almost, hard to, to differentiate from death. Most of us are never going to get there, right, to that level of, of control and of, of the body. But anybody can slow down the breath. Anybody can do that. When we slow down the breath, the heart has no choice. The heart has to slow down. And when that happens, the body begins to relax and the nervous system begins to quiet down. So if you're looking for inner peace, if you're looking to learn how to be the eye of the storm in this crazy world in which we live, learn about the breath and, and learn about some breathing practices and some breathing techniques that will change your life. Yeah. And please actually just go to Christian's website to learn directly from him um, rather than trying to do it yourself because as you can hear, he talks so eloquently, eloquently and so beautifully about this stuff. Christian, it's just been an absolute pleasure and I really do hope for anyone who's watching this can really see the enthusiasm that comes across um, for, for Christian's book and the topics. And unfortunately, we ran out of time here today, but believe me, I had so, so many notes because this book is so absolutely fabulous. So please, if you're watching this here, please go and purchase this book. It, it's, it's only a few bucks, but it, it will absolutely transform your life with the practices mm -hmm. and the guidance and the tips that he has within it. It is such a powerful, powerful book. And I really do look forward to reading the next installments within it. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight and your wisdom. You've certainly transformed me. Thank you. Oh my God, That's, those words are so profoundly uh, touching. Thank you so much, Zina. Thank you for, for, for the, the beautiful way that you speak about my book. And I am so grateful um, that it had a, an impact on your life. And thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for having the show. Um, I know that because you were willing to do that and to say yes to that calling to have a podcast, many, many lives are being impacted because of it. So thank you, brother. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you again. Same here.